Good day, all. Welcome to a new episode of Learning Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to teach you Bible truth, help you grow in faith, and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Now, I want you to remember to pray and ask God for understanding. Put your learning hats on, get your Bibles, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Good day, everyone. I want to first take this time out to recognize and welcome the new listeners. I receive new listeners every week. I welcome you. And of course, my consistent listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Now, today is part five of an eight-part series entitled The True Uncut Gospel of Jesus the Christ. Now, today's message is entitled What It Means to Be Born Again. From what I understand and from what I'm hearing, this is highly anticipated. Everyone wants to hear about this. Now, I think there is something positive in that and something negative. Positive is that the people who really don't know want to know. And negative is if you are a Christian and you want to know what it means to be born again, shame on the pastor of the church that you are going to. And I say that with love. But everyone who listens to me on a regular basis already know I know I always talk about the truth not being taught in the house of God today, which is really a place of worship because the church, every individual is the church. We make up the church. The people of God make up the church. So you can hold service in your house, in your car, on social media if you are talking to a certain audience. So the church is made up of the people of God who are in Christ. But today's message, I tell you, it's going to ruffle some feathers, but everybody who know me know it's coming from a a place of love. But I will not compromise the truth of God's word just to make somebody feel good or to prevent someone's feelings from being hurt. Now, with that said, I have uh, two foundational scriptures. And before I read them, Uh, I want to talk about, you know, in that first ever episode of of Nick at Night, when a Pharisee came secretly to Jesus, he was presented with one of the most awesome truths in Scripture, that a man must be born again or he will not have eternal life. Now, how awesome is that? That is truly awesome. But I want to start off with reading 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This new creature in Christ, hmm, we must be born again. Now, he has a brand new nature, the new creature in Christ. He has a brand new heart that is implemented or implanted and filled with the agape kind of love, and the law that he will respond to is the law of love, not the Ten Commandments, not the law of Moses, not circumcision, not the Sabbath day, but the law of love. Now, what are the old things that pass away? They surely could not be anything in the physical, because if you are bald-headed the day before you get saved, you are bald-headed the day after. If you have freckles on your face or on your nose the day before you get saved, you have those same freckles on the day after. Now, the things that pass away are not physical things. They are spiritual things. The old things that pass away are spiritual death, alienation, separation, and degradation, and condemnation. Those things pass away. They are wiped out, praise God. What is new? We are children of God. God is our father. Jesus is our elder brother. The Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is our power source. The word of God becomes our sword and agape love becomes our law. And condemnation goes out the window. Unrighteousness goes out the window. And I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. And I have a right to enter the throne room of God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, it has nothing to do with keeping the law of Moses. 
and I'm talking about our spiritual transaction. It doesn't have anything to do with going to church on a Sabbath, and it has nothing to do with circumcision. So let us look at, at, at a more uh, detailed scripture that tells us about being born again. This is Jesus speaking, and in the third chapter of John, and I'm going to read verses one through three, but in detail. I'm going to stop uh, during this scripture and, and give explanations because I want you to hear this. Now, Jesus answered and said unto him, unto him means to the man Nicodemus who came to Jesus for teaching and instruction. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The word see here does not refer to visual sight with your physical eyes. Jesus is talking about something spiritual. Now, consequently, what is literally being said is this, except a man be born again, he cannot come to know the kingdom of God. Everyone who has not yet accepted Christ is in the natural, okay? Jesus is the spirit is in the spiritual. So, you have to make a transfer from the natural to the spiritual. And the way you do that is through the new birth. So Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about something physical. Uh, of course, anyone who's in the natural who has a carnal mind, it's, it's um, natural for him to think that way, right? So Jesus answered and said to him, verily, verily, which means of a truth, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, first, Jesus said that unless you are born again, you cannot come to know the kingdom, the kingdom, okay? Then he says, except you are born again, you cannot enter into it. When he says water and spirit, I want to clarify what he is talking about. The word water does not mean water baptism. The word water here is being used symbolically for the word of God. Now, when Jesus told the parable of the sower, he said a sower went out to sow some seed. And some seed fell by the wayside and the fowls uh, came down and plucked up the seed. Then later on, when he gave the interpretation of the story, he said that the seed is the word. So the word seed or the word water here are symbols standing for the word of God. Now it takes the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to cause the new birth. It takes the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God to create a new creature in Christ Jesus. In other words, it takes two things to make spiritual life, just like it takes two things to make physical life. It takes a sperm coming in contact with an egg called fertilization to cause conception to take place and a child to be born out of his mother's womb into the world. Now, spiritual birth is on this wise. The spirit of God and the word of God, the sperm and the egg come together and conception takes place and a new creature is born out of the world into Christ Jesus. That is spiritual birth. The ground in which the seed is planted is the human heart. The way it gets there is through the preaching of the word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, so the new birth then is the rebirth of the human spirit. It is a spiritual transaction, not a physical one. Now John says, not John, but uh, Jesus says in John 3, 7, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Now there is no option. If you want to enter into the family of God or the kingdom of God, you have to enter in through the new birth. You have to be born again. There is no mistake about it. And th there is no confusion about it either. So if you don't know the truth, you don't know. But if you know the truth, now see, most people, if they don't understand something, they reject it. Now, instead of seeking the truth of that thing they don't understand, they reject it. 
And as it relates to being born again, if you don't get it and you decide to reject it, that's a dangerous thing to do. It's a dangerous place to be in. So I, the reason, one of the reasons why I started this series and one of the reasons why I added what it means to be born again is so that you can understand and know and then evaluate yourself to see if you are in the faith. Okay, because if you're not born again, you're not saved. And this is not being told in a lot of these churches. If you are not born again, you are not saved. And I have told this story before. When I was baptized at the age of, age of 17, I was baptized in a, a traditional Baptist church. The pastor of that church, bless his heart, he passed away from what I hear a couple of years ago, maybe last year or the year before. He never told me why I was being baptized. Never sat down and talked to me about uh, Jesus that uh, I needed to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. He never talked to me about being born again. And my guess is, being that I am a teacher of the Word of God today, a teacher and minister of the gospel, is that he didn't know. He was heading up a church and didn't know the Word of God. That's my guess. So, And that's my best guess. But um, I would hope that he is in heaven. Okay? Because unless a man is born again, I don't care how much we love our people, if they are not born again, our people are going to hell. And a lot of people don't like to hear that. And everything I say here today, I'm saying it, uh, I'm saying it with love, with love in my heart. Because I have family members that are not saved. I have friends that are not saved, meaning they are not born again. There are a lot of people in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today that are not saved. They are going to church by obligation or out of obligation. And we need to put a stop to that by putting the truth out there. Learning Bible truth with Dr. Kamala D. This is the reason I am here. This is the reason I, this is the reason I am teaching you. Now, when a man is born physically, he is born spiritually dead. In his trespasses and in sin. Write down Ephesians 2 and 1 and verse 5 and Colossians 2.13. Now, because he is spiritually dead, he has no power of his own to perform this. Therefore, he must be born spiritually from a power and through a work that is outside of himself. That is, he must be born from above. Okay, now, John 1.13 says, Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And we all know that God's word is a living thing. So we must be born again of the word of God. Now, this new birth, this being born from above is quite an amazing thing. It must be <laughs> most certainly as it is a supernatural work of God. Now, let's look at two points here with regard to, to the born again life. First, the certainty of this supernatural work, and second, its carnational truth. Now, when I use the word certainty here, I'm not talking about our certainty or assurance that this work has happened in our lives. Certainly, we can have an assurance of our own personal salvation to a lesser or greater degree, depending upon the faith that has, that has apprehended us. Now, when I speak of, 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 of the certainty of God's supernatural work, it is to explain certain aspects of it as revealed by God in his holy scripture. In other words, what is happening according to scripture when a person is converted to saving faith and repentance. Now, if you ask the average person why they were saved, or what made them a Christian, the responses vary. And all but a very few of their testimonies line, will line up with scripture as to what God says uh, constitutes true biblical Christianity. Some of those responses were, and this came from some of the people I talked to, I go to church, I pray every day, I read the Bible, I believe in Jesus, I was baptized as an infant or as a child or as, or as an adult. I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person and so on and so forth. Now, <laughs> the most grieving to me is this one. I pray, pray and just ask God to save me. Wow. And the ignorance 
that is no fault of, of most people. It saddens me. It does. It really does. Because this is nothing to play with. Now, Matthew 4, 17 says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1, 14 and 15 says this, Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, repentance was also a part of the apostles' preaching, okay? Peter preached repentance on that Pentecostal day. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's in Acts 2.38. Now, Paul preached repentance in Acts 20.21 20, publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, repentance is the, is the inseparable companion of faith. Okay. Faith and repentance, like Siamese twins are vitally joined together in proportion as we believe in the forgiving love of Christ in that proportion, we repent and in proportion as we repent of sin and hate evil we rejoice in the fullness of the absolution which Jesus is exalted to bestow. You will never value pardon unless, or you will never value pardon unless you feel repentance. I know I don't. And you will never taste the, the, the deepest draft of repentance until you know that you are pardoned. Now, I would say repentance would also appear that both faith and repentance are an internal work upon the heart. And since it is an internal work of the heart, that which is actually happening by the power of God, it cannot be readily witnesses by the eyes of men. Okay. It is written in first Samuel 16 and seven, and you can write that down, um, pause the tape and look for the scripture, but I'm going to read. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord see it not as man see it. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now there is a tendency by many, however, to turn repentance into, into a work. That is that someone has to muster up the strength in order to repent from sin before they can be saved. Well, that's just not true. Biblical repentance. Now, repentance is a supernatural work of God. Now, repentance is given to the soul that God is converting. Now, the work which our Lord Jesus has done on the cross has made repentance possible, available, and acceptable. Now, when Jesus was exalted on high, the Spirit of God was poured out to work in us all needful graces. Now, the Holy Ghost creates repentance in us by supernaturally renewing our nature and taking away the heart of stone out of our flesh. Repentance comes not from unwilling nature, but from free and savoying grace. Now, remember, remember also that when our Lord Jesus was exalted, he not only gave us repentance by sending forth the Holy Spirit, but by con consecrating all the works of nature and of, of providence to the great ends of our salvation so that any one of them may call us to repentance, whether it crow like Peter's cock or shake the prison like the jailer's earthquake. From the right hand of God, our Lord, Jesus rules all things here below and makes them work together for the salvation of his redeemed. Now, repentance, therefore, is a gift from God given by supernatural work of God, of God's Holy Spirit. Now, is repentance a matter of confession with the mouth or is it a matter of reality in the heart? Now, Romans 10, 9, 10 says this, that if thou, thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus 
and shalt believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, in the passage of Romans I just cited, salvation comes from more than just a, a confession of mouth. It must also come from a heart of faith that produces a life that dwells in the truth that Christ's atoning death has justified this sinner saved by grace or by God's grace, believe it unto righteousness. Now you have to believe when you confess Christ. Now we all know that we, it goes together. You can't leave one out. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's just, I'm sorry, that God raised him from the dead. It's just that you believe and you know Jesus is alive and he is your savior. That's it. That's how you are born again. Okay? That's how you are born again. Now, since saving faith includes repentance, as examined earlier, the reality of this changed life provides a vocalization of that truth. Confession unto salvation. The confession doesn't make our salvation so. Okay, we are getting ready to go deep. Y'all know I am an advanced teacher and I'm deep on this. And if you're born again, you know exactly what I'm saying. It is an evidence of the saving graces that are taking place in the life of the one being saved. The confession unto salvation also provides a connection between the faith that God has created in the man upon earth and the joyful reality that takes place in heaven over one sinner that comes to repentance. What do I mean by that? When the scribes and the Pharisees gathered around Jesus and murmured against him because he ate uh, with sinners and tax collectors, the Lord told two parables. The first was a man who having one, who having uh, lost one sheep and out of the hundred and, and, and that he owned left the 99 to look for the one. And after having found the lost sheep, he called his friends and neighbors to rejoice with him over that find. Now, the second parable was of a woman with 10 silver coins who had lost one and searched her entire house until she found it. And having found the lost coin, she also called her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her over the find. The Lord provided a commentary for each of the par parables respectively. I say unto you that likewise, Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repented more than over 90 and the nine just persons which need no repentance. That's, that's in Luke 15 verse 7. And Luke 15 10 says, likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. Now, although they, they were made with greater glory than men, Psalms 8, 5, Hebrews 2, 7, 9, Angels are still create, created beings. They are angelic beings. Now, as created beings, how can they look into the heart of a man that has repented? Did God endow them with, with some kind of special mechanism that allows them to see the change in a man? I don't believe so. Now, I believe that angels rejoice over one sinner that repents because they hear the proclamation at the throne of God and see his joy. Luke 15, 10. Now, during Jesus' earthly ministry and after he ascended to the right hand of the Father, as in the case to the uh, church at, at Sardis, he said in Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I, will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Luke 12, 8 says, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. Revelation 3, 5 says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now, at the same instant that God the Holy Spirit is supernaturally saving a life unto faith and repentance, that would so move a man's mouth to confess Jesus Christ before men. God the Son is confessing that man by the name to God the Father as his very own possession. 
The angels are not beholding the work of God's suborn grace internally within a man's heart, nor are they examining the works produced in that saved life by the graces moving on that individual by the Holy Spirit. The angels in heaven are rejoicing as they witness the demonstration of God's amazing grace to declare the utterly depraved soul as one who is now redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They are also rejoicing over the joy they see in the Almighty God exercising his plan of redemption. Because the angels knew about the plan before we did. Okay, now this amazing grace continues when Satan, the accuser of the brethren, brings the name of this or that believer before the bar of God's judgment as some heinous sin would seem to smudge or darken the white robes of God's saving grace. Yet, we as adopted children have Christ Jesus as our advocate, pleading his righteousness, his blood, his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection, and other things, putting down and casting aside all arguments raised by the devil. The father of lies. Y'all need to remember that here. Satan is the father of lies. He has been a liar since the beginning. Now, because Satan accuses the brethren day in and day night, uh, day in and night, read Revelation 12, 10. The heavenly host also witnessed this with awe and great joy. Now, in 1 John 2, 1, it is written, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, that is what is happening in heaven when a person is saved. Because Jesus made a confession before his heavenly Father. It is his holy word as God that makes it so and therefore cannot be undone. It is written in Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, praise God, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things whereto I sent it. Now, understanding what is taking place in a man's heart, as well as the throne of God in heaven, realizing that the immediate work of salvation is hidden from our eyes. This leads us now to our last question. How can we tell if someone has truly repented? Hmm? The truth is that, you know, most people can't. It's actually not designed by the, the, the creator to be that way. Now, surely if we have been radically saved by God's spirit, we can be assured of our own personal salvation. God has turned our dead souls into living sons and daughters of God, souls that were once sold under the bondage of sin, souls that are now slaves to the, righteous, to the righteousness of God. Now, our assurance comes by trusting faithfully in his word, which says in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and this is the record that God had given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that had the son had life. And he that had not the son of God had not life. And this simply means if you have Jesus, you are saved. If you don't have Jesus, you are not saved. That's what that means. Now, additionally, you can be assured of, uh, of your own personal salvation, just as I can be assured of my own personal salvation, by standing faithfully upon God's word as it pertains to the doctrinal truth of the perseverance of the saints. That is, that if we believe that it was by the supernatural power of God to be saved or to save a soul, and that it is by God's supernatural power and saving graces that keep that soul, then we can most certainly have assurance that God, as author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, 2, he will complete what he started. And it, it is written in Philippians 1, 6. I'm going to read that, write it down so you can read it later or either pause the tape. Being confident of this very thing, that he which had began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, can we know with absolute certainty that others are saved? Well, Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. 
Now, since the reality of the saved life says that we are to have fellowship with one another, 1 John 1, 7, that we are commanded to gather together as believers in Christ. In Hebrews 10, 24, 25, it tells us that, that we are commanded to serve one another by love, Galatians 5, 13, and in, in other items, there must certainly be evidences that a soul has been saved. Now, although there will be various degrees of manifestation of the evidence of faith by virtue of the frailty of flesh, these may be the questions we can ask ourselves and, and one another to examine our hearts to see, to see whether we collectively are in the faith. And you can find that in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Is there a manifestation of the fruit of the spirit, such as love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Are the desires and passions of the flesh crucified in that person's life? Galatians 5, 24. Does there appear to be a hatred for sin and a desire to obey God's word? Is love for those who appear to be the Lord's disciples evident to everyone? Does there appear to be a love and discernment for the truth? Now this is supposed to be in those who are born again. Is that person growing to look more and more like Jesus of, of the scripture? John 17, 21, Romans 8, 29, 1 John 1, 7. We cannot know everything, but there are certainly things that we can know. God's word is absolute truth, and we can believe his word absolutely. Yet as not all things in his word are clear to everyone, we must still experience the spiritual reality of our salvation and sanctification that is with us, in us, and upon us through the frailty of flesh. And we can most certainly grow in what we know, building upon what we have learned and maturing as men and women in Christ from the spiritual infancy from which we began. Yet for now, until the return of the Lord, there are still things that are unclear, as it is written in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part but then shall I know even as also I am known. First John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doeth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When we begin to understand these truths, we truly begin living a life of faith because our faith is growing and being built up in holiness. We are not trying to get something done. We are endeavoring merely to abide in Christ that through spiritual obedience to his word by the power of his Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is not only glorified, but he is gloriously living through us and fulfilling his word in us. There is no man, woman, or child that can come close to the living that life as Jesus did in thought, word, or deed. But Ecclesiastes 1, 2, when we realize it says vanity of vanities, all is vanity. We throw ourselves upon the mercy of Christ in godly fear and the Lord fulfills his will and good pleasure in us. Now, when his saving and sanctifying graces are working in our lives and through our lives as we unconditionally surrender and absolutely abandon to Christ, his will is fulfilled in us and we can proclaim with the apostles in 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Why are God's commandments not grievous? Or put it in the words of another translation. Why are they not burdensome? One of the reasons that God's commandments are not a burden is because they are accomplished, not in the power of the flesh, but by his power through, through the weakness and infirmities of our flesh. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 10. Additionally, because we don't know with absolute certainty just who has been regenerated and that we can only have an, an indication that someone may be saved because the, the evidence of a saving faith exists. We may have some trouble discerning between hypocrites, temporary believers, and true believers. The hypocrite and temporary believer will have all the external evidences that would suggest that they are saved. Now, this, as I said, is by God's design. Now, even though I may be walking in the light of God, submissive to his will and seasoned with grace, the spirit of Christ fulfilling impossible commands within my life, I can't positively know whom God has elected to be saved. I can't. Now, therefore, I will treat the lost from the eternal perspective that they may eventually be saved by God's grace and one day be my brother or sister in Christ. Likewise, I will love my enemies because one day God may save them. I will bless them that persecute me and pray for them that despitefully uses me for the same reason, that they may one day be saved by God's suborn grace. Now, let's look at uh, incarnational truth. Now, if I am born from above by the will of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, then the incarnate, crucified, resurrected, and ascended Christ is born in me. That is, the life of Christ is truly in me. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he said this to his disciples in John 14, 18 and 19. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live. Ye shall live also. Now Jesus says that he will come and that he will not leave his disciples without comfort. And although that same evening, the Lord speaks of the Holy Spirit as that comforter, he is also speaking of himself in a very real sense, being right there with them. Before he ascends into heaven at the Mount of Olives, the resurrected Savior tells the disciples directly that he will never leave them and therefore will never leave any of his disciples. In other words, you and I who have been utterly saved by him will never be left alone by Jesus. That's why I tell you, you shouldn't be panicking because there is another virus sweeping the nation. Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Those who are born again has the Holy Spirit with them. And they have people that ask me, girl, I, I don't know how your faith is so strong. Because I'm born again. That's why. The faith, the Holy Spirit of God is in me. Now Matthew 28 and 20 says this, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now if Jesus is with me always, even until the end of the world, and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world and the thing that is in the world. Why am I panicking? I have the greater one living inside of me. Now, the 19th century Baptist preacher, Alexander McLaurin, those of you who know of him. He explained this thought more thoroughly from a, a sermon entitled The Absent Present Christ. Now, in Mr. McLaurin's sermon, he states that although absent, the resurrected and ascended Christ was not only with them, in them, um, and in them in a very real sense, but also more real, personal, and involved in the disciples' lives when, when, when he walked among them before his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Now, enough for them and enough for us. To know that we have Christ in the spirit and the spirit in Christ and to remember that if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. It is important to know if you have the spirit of Christ, you are saved. You are born again. Those without the spirit of Christ in their heart, implanted in their heart. That's the seed that's implanted in our hearts. 
they are not saved. They are not born again. Now, the incarnational truth is that if the Holy Spirit is with us, in us, and upon us, then the Spirit of Christ Jesus is as well. Then there is nothing that we need to muster within ourselves to make it, it true because it is very truth. Therefore, if faith is walking in the steadfast confidence of the truth of God's word, then we either believe this wholeheartedly or believe it marginally or believe it with some varying degree in between, else we do not believe it at all. Now let's talk about the regenerated life. Ephesians 4.23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Oh, here is where we have in the issues, saints. One of the sayings I used to, he used to hear as a newborn again believer was this. The greatest distance that God's truth must travel is the 18th inches from my head to my heart. Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> I've been around with this word and around people, uh, uh, supposedly people of God a long time. I've heard it all. Now, in other words, they have an understanding of God's truth from his word. But the reality of it is to carry it out has not reached the heart to desire to do it. It sounds good, and, and I used to believe it, but it's not true, and it's not biblical. At least it's not biblical as, as it has to do with uh, the life of the believer that is saved by grace. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, Ezekiel 36, 20 and 27 says this, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you an heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Now, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he just explained the process of being born again. This was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus got here, and he brought it to pass. He fulfilled the laws. Now, if I have been saved by God's suborn grace, then I am a new creature in Christ. I have a new heart and a new spirit. It is very truth and a spiritual reality. My heart now does not have to be changed because it's already new. What needs to be renewed is my mind. That's what needs to be renewed in some Christians. We have some Christians that are saved. They are born again, but they haven't renewed their minds yet. This is a part of being born again. Okay, saints. Okay. Now, my flesh and the unbelieving, God-hating, Christ-rejecting world once influenced my mind. Now, I must be transformed by the renewing of my mind. My mind must now get in line and in step with the new me. And as it is written in Colossians 3.10, it says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, how is this done? By washing our minds through the cleansing of God's word. Ephesians 5, 26, Titus 3, 5. Now, whether we read it or hear it preached or mediate upon it or meditate on it, this is called sanctification. You can read that in John 17, 17. As our minds become filled with God's word, our desires begin conforming to the truth rather than to the principles of the world. See, we have a lot of worldly Christians. They are worldly minded. That's why they panic when, when a pandemic hit. That's why they panic. Those who are born again are not panicking. I was with Christians today. I was at a church anniversary today. I spoke at a church anniversary today. None of us were worried about that. Honey, we were too busy glorifying and praising God. 
That's what true Christians do. That's what born again Christians do. Apparently I, uh, I, I offend some when I say real Christians are true Christians. How about I say that's what born again Christians do. Now the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, you must be born again in order for you to come to know or understand the things of God or to enter into the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Now you can, if you dispute me, you dispute Christ. So if you're not born again, don't get mad at me. Why don't you just become born again? That's all. Why, why don't you just let yourself die and let Christ live in you? Okay. Now, our, uh, as I was saying, our minds become filled with God's word. Our desires begin conforming to the truth rather than to, to the principles of the world. Now, when this happens, we begin to be transformed in our mind to will and to do his good pleasure by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to read Romans chapter 12 verses two and Philippians two thirteen. Therefore the regenerated life of the believer is a spiritual reality. We don't have to do this. We don't have to do this good work or, or, or that good thing to become regenerated. We are regenerated. And if we are living according to faith in his word, the power of God's spirit continues to grow us from faith to faith and from glory to glory. I want you to read Romans chapter one, verse 17 and second Corinthians three eighteen. Now the power of God to regenerate a depraved soul is so life changing that the faith it creates and the power it exudes is so unlike anything ever experienced before. It's possible to think that it was by the individual's own power that he or she had changed. Mm -mm. That is why the mind must be renewed after the new man. And according to God's word, feelings are good, but they must be a response to the truth of God's word and not a measuring device for the word. Otherwise, the standard is no longer a standard. It is as Alexander McLaren preached long ago, senses may deceive my faith built upon his word cannot be deceived. Ah, write that down. Y'all want me to say that again? Senses may deceive my faith built upon his word cannot be deceived. Now, as with the born again life, we don't see things in this present present age so clearly, although we are regenerated beings. Another reason for that is as regenerated beings, we are now eternally minded rather than temporarily minded. It is written in second Corinthians five, seven, for we walk by faith, not by sight. I don't know how, how many times I have to say that, but I'm going to keep saying it every day to myself. Because if you walk by sight and what you hear the world pouncing on, it is a faith killer. It will kill your faith. Whatever you meditate on will eventually manifest in your words and in your actions. So you need to focus on God's word, but you got to learn God's word. You need to know what God is saying. You need to know when God is talking and when he's not. It's, it's very easy for me to distinguish. Now let's read second Corinthians four eighteen. While we look not at the things which are seen, meaning we don't look at the things we can see, but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Most of us, I'm fairly certain, have heard the expression, he's so heavenly minded that he's, he's no earthly good. Now, it may be a common saying, but it's just, it, it just isn't true. Now, according to the Bible, unless a person is heavenly minded, that is, unless a person's views, thoughts, perspectives are eternally minded, there can be no possible way that such a person can can be any earthly good. Now, that's the Bible. And I'm sticking with the Bible. It is true, as our Lord, uh, Lord said, that we are in the world. That is in this present age among the majority of the population that are un unredeemed, God hating, Christ rejecting souls. Although we are not counted among their number, therefore, 
those things surrounding our everyday lives, such as eating, drinking, clothing, housing, working, and, and, and other things are still very much a part of our existence in this present age. Food is necessary for me to have nourishment, but it is never more important or even as important than the truth of God's word or the presence of God himself. Now, when Jesus had dinner in Bethany at the home of Lazarus and his sisters, the Lord didn't say, Mary, um, my words are important, but feeling my disciples are just as important. No, mm -mm, I'm sorry, but feeding my disciples are just as important. Now, y'all see the time I've been rolling all day, but I was determined to do this podcast. So I may stumble toward the end because I am getting extremely tired, but that's okay. I'm pulling on the strength of the Holy Spirit to get this message out. Now, in Luke, uh, I want you to see Luke 10, 38 and 42. Now, um, I want to repeat that again so it can make sense to you. When Jesus had dinner in Bethany at the home of Lazarus, at Lazarus and his sisters, the Lord didn't say, Mary, my words are important, but feeding my disciples are just as important. Go help Martha. Now, although Jesus fed the multitudes with five loaves and two fishes, the next day when, when they wanted to be fed again, Jesus turned them away as a carnal glut, as carnal gluttons. See John 6, 26 and 27. Most people don't know that's in there. Now, the Lord teaches us that we are not to give great importance to the needs of our flesh. Uh-huh. Now, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 uh, and 25 and 34. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon, meaning money. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body. What ye shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Take therefore no thought for the morrow for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now the Lord tells us why we are not to think about these things. It is a matter of faith building trust. Jesus says this, <laughs> this about our focus and attention. He says this in Matthew 6, 32 and 33. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. This is why I don't worry or stress for nothing. My faith and trust is in God's word and in God. And remember, his word never returns to him void. You have, but here's the thing. You have to believe all of these things are already available to all of God's children. You have to pull them into reality by your faith. That's why a lot of Christians suffer. I had someone ask me last week. Oh, no, they really didn't ask me. They told me. They say, well, it doesn't matter about your faith. Now, this is supposed to be a Christian now. It doesn't matter about your faith. Christians get sick anyway. They can steal. Anybody can get the uh, coronavirus. Now, this person was incorrect and, act and, and um, obviously ignorant to the word of God. You can speak those words. You can speak the coronavirus onto yourself. And I'm here to tell you, and I'm saying this out of love. And the person may hear this. I don't know. I think they, they follow my podcast. But this person stays sick because they constantly speak sickness over their bodies. They don't believe in healing clearly. And they always offer to go pray for someone. And I'd be terrified saying, Lord, this person is getting ready to go pray this person into a grave because it is it is the prayer of faith that heals the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. Now, that's written. Either you're going to believe this or you're not. Either you are going to be healed by your words or you are going to be condemned by your own words. You have to make the choice. Now, unbelievers are concerned with the material things that surround their daily lives. We shouldn't need to be because we know that our father in heaven will take care of the things that are needed according to his will. 
and his good pleasure and his glory, food, clothing, and shelter are temporary. God's kingdom and his righteous son are eternal. But God promises to take care of his children while we are on this earth. Yes. Now, although the material things in this present age are not as important as the spiritual truths of God's word or the joy of his presence, food, clothing, and shelter are not unimportant. The Lord God said that we ought to look after the material needs of others. Yes, he says that. So it's not that he don't care about material things. It's just that we need to put things in order. Now, particularly of his disciples, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, Matthew 25, 35 through 40 says this, for I was an hungered, hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger and ye took me in naked and ye clothed me. I was sick and ye visited me. I was in prison and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when, when, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, what, what they were saying was, Lord, I should have read this from the New King James Version, but I don't feel like switching Bibles. Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee and the king and, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, meaning of a truth. I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. Oh, I know that punched some people in the heart. If you are born again, you got a heart for every man. You have a heart for your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have and they don't, you are supposed to see to it that they are not lacking in that area. You are supposed to give them what they need just to have basic functions. Basic life's functions. They light bills should be paid if they can't afford to pay it. They need, you need to make sure food is in their houses. That's what true Christians do. That's what born again Christians do. Now these works of love, mercy, and kindness are the result of the saving faith within us. These are the supernatural outflow of the living water of Christ's spirit within us and upon us. It is also written in James 2, 14, 17. What do it profit my brethren? Though a man say he had faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and I just got through talking about this, that's why I'm reading this scripture. And one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needed to the body. What do it profit? Even so faith, if it had not works, is dead being alone. And remember, I told you guys last week uh, during the other podcast or the other episode that we have different levels of faith. And what James here is saying, it makes no sense for you to pray for. Well, I'm going to pray for you that your situation get better when you have the physical material things to give them. You shouldn't even pray for them if you're not going to give them anything. Just stay in your house and, and, and close the doors and lock yourself in and don't answer your phone. But if your sisters and brothers are in need, you are supposed to be there for them. And it's not supposed to be alone. If you are in a situation where you can pay all of your bills, you have some extra money sitting and a brother or sister in Christ is in need, you have an obligation to share with them. Yeah, it's not an option. It's an obligation. Yeah. And see, this is where we fall short. And see, you can tell uh, the heart of man when trouble comes for number one, they have no faith. That right there can reveals to me who really truly is born again. But when how they treat people, when people are in need, that's another sign. Turning your back on your brother. You're supposed to love your neighbor. You're supposed to love your brother. And your neighbor doesn't necessarily mean the person that lives next door to you. Because we have brothers and sisters all around this world. 
We have brothers and sisters from every background, from every race, and every ethnicity. Oh yes, the body of Christ is large. And anyone that's in need, and we have the means to assist them, we are supposed to do it. Are you born again? That's what I want to know. Now, God knows whether you're born again or not. Now, I may be looking and just can't tell, but your actions show. That's why Paul told the Corinthian church, you need to test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Because Paul was marveled at some of the things he heard about and then went there to check on the church and some of the things he was able to confirm. Like, my God, y'all need to see if y'all are in the faith. Are you really born again? That's my question to you. Are you born again? You were like that before you claimed to have met Jesus. You didn't do anything for anybody then. And you, you claim to know Jesus now and you're still not willing to help anybody. So you know what? Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. That's what you need to do. Now, because we are new creatures in Christ, bond slaves to, to one who has purchased us with his own blood on Calvary's tree. The time these material things should cross our mind is when and how it can improve the quality of life of others. And I don't just say things just to be saying them. Philippians 2, 4 says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Mm. I tell you now. I am at the end of this message, what it means to be born again. And I know during my closing remarks that I give you my email address. If you have any questions about this episode, oh, I know I'm going to get a lot of uh, questions and comments about this episode, but I want you to keep this in mind. The Lord Jesus Christ says Unless a man is born again, not me. I don't say it. I'm a minister of the gospel. I just repeat what he says. Don't kill the messenger. You go and cuss Jesus out behind closed doors and, and get on him about it. He said, unless a man is born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. And the word see means come to know or understand. And unless a, a man is born of the water, okay, of water, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, you know who the kingdom of God is? The kingdom of God is Jesus. If unless you are born again, you can't enter into Jesus. You have to enter in, into Jesus through spiritual birth. Now you can stand by for my, for an invitation to accept Christ and my closing remarks. And don't forget to send me your questions and comments. I welcome them because my goal is to help you grow. Oh yes. It's to help you grow. So, and I want you to uh, also understand this. I love you. Yeah. I don't even have to know you ever have met you to, to love you. It's just that the love of God is planted in my heart and is it planted in yours? so that you can return the love. But when you know the truth, you do the truth. And, believe, and, and I want you to get this. It is the truth, knowing the truth, that sets man free. See you next time. To everyone who hears this message, including those who profess to having accepted Christ, but don't possess his spirit, and to the non-believers who are chasing religion looking for God, tomorrow is not promised to you. Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. There is no other way to get to God outside of Christ. There is no back door. I want you to read John chapter 14 verses 1 through 6. All you have to do to secure your salvation in Christ is to say this simple prayer one time and mean it. Father God, I am a sinner in need of salvation. I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And because I confessed and believe this in my heart, God, your word says I'm saved. Amen. 
If you said this simple prayer, my friends, you have just been saved by grace. Yes, it's just that simple. If you were sincere, you should feel a change in your heart right now. You now have free access to God. You are a saint, a believer, and most importantly, a child of the Most High God. I encourage you to join a faith-based teaching church. Continue to listen to Learning Bible Truth so you can grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Renew your mind with the Word of God so you can establish a relationship with Him. God wants you to enjoy life, laugh, love, forgive, and treat everyone you encounter with compassion, dignity, and respect. Now stand by for my closing remarks. pray that you were blessed by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, please send your comments or questions to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. And if you would like to support this podcast financially, because you feel we have been a blessing to you, go to one of my five podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, or Radio Public, and contribute an amount of your choice. Now, until next time, Remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D. Rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.